Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? We doing well? Yeah, well, welcome. We're, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had started teaching you this new hymn called Jesus Firm Foundation. Why don't you stand? We'll continue learning it together. It goes like this. How firm a foundation you say to the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say then? the second verse. Fear not, he is with us, so be not dismayed, for he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by his merciful almighty hand. Here's the chorus.
fear can't hold me down. No darkness till my joy. For blood has been poured out. The enemy destroyed. Death could not hold him down. The cross was not enough to steal away his church. It's so good to have you here with us for our 11 o'clock service. And if this is your first time to Salem Heights, welcome. We're so glad that you picked today to come. Uh, you're in store for a really great treat of a sermon and just the worship. Hopefully you've already been blessed by that. If you are a first time guest, in the seat back in front of you, there's a visitor card. We would just love for you to fill that out. Let us know your name um, and just give us a little bit of information so we can reach out to you and answer any questions you might have about Salem Heights Church. And I also want to invite you, if you are a newcomer to Salem Heights, maybe you started attending in the last, I don't know, 15, 16 months, and haven't felt like you've really been able to meet other people, well, next Sunday, after this 11 o'clock service, here at the church, we're going to be having a newcomer's lunch, and uh, we just want to invite you to come. Uh, it's free. Uh, we've got plenty of food, and uh, you can register online if you visit the Salem Heights Church webpage and scroll to the bottom, click on registrations. You can let us know if you are coming, uh, if your family's coming, they're all invited, um, and even if you forget or you just don't want to make time to fill out another registration form online, you can still come. We'll have plenty of food, but this is going to be a great opportunity for you to meet uh, some of our staff and some other of the folks who've started joining our church uh, over the last year, and so we want to invite you to that. Hopefully, uh, you will join us next week. 
Uh, there's a couple other things I want to bring your attention to. Uh, in the seat back in front of you, there's this little white card. Um, for those of you who like to get the bulletin or notes, uh, we've kind of moved away from having those every week in paper form. But you can scan that QR code and electronically on your phone will pop up either the bulletin or this morning's notes. And for this message today, Pastor Justin's going to mention a lot of scripture that he's not going to have time to read, but it's all there in the notes. And so if you want a copy of the notes so you can get those extra scriptures, that's a great place to find it each week. Well, last week we announced to our ladies that we have a summer study that kicked off this last Tuesday night. And that was a great event. They'll be continuing to meet on Tuesday nights in July. But I wanted to let the guys know that next Sunday morning, they're going to kick off their summer men's study here at the church. And they're going to be looking at several of the lessons that we're covering in our current series, Fundamentals of the Faith. They're going to go a little bit deeper, gather around God's Word. Um, It's 7 o'clock. No registration needed. It's going to be upstairs in room 200. If you don't know where that's at, you can still show up next Sunday morning, and there'll be people here to help you get to that spot. There's going to be coffee. I think you're even going to have some donuts there. If that gets you there, that's a great thing. But we're going to be getting around God's Word and going a little deep. It's a great way to connect. If you're a new uh, guy or maybe you just want to get connected again, next Sunday we're going to start off our summer study for the men, 7 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Well, this past week... We were able to do something that we had been longing to do, and it had been a long time, and that was hold a vacation Bible school here at Salem Heights Church. And it was a great event, a great turnout. Um, Over 240 kids had signed up. I know we had more than that throughout the week. We had almost 100 volunteers who came, and our kids got to hear about Jesus every day. Uh, Our theme was Destination Dig. They were going to uncover the truth about Jesus. And so the gospel was clearly shared. And it was so great to have all of those little voices and excitement on campus. And I just want to first say thank you to all of our parents who entrusted us with their kids this last week. Hopefully that was a blessing to you and your kids had a great time. I want to thank all of our volunteers. I see many of you in here who actually served every day. You came and you, you did life with those little kids. Thank you so much for serving. And I want to say a special thank you to our VBS team, um, our D6 uh, ministry leader and ministry assistant, and all their team that put together VBS. They did such a great job, and that was just an exciting thing to be able to do that and be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those kids. So if that's something that we all can be thankful for. Well, we are thankful for you. Yeah, we can, we can applaud that. We are thankful for you to be here, and now we're going to turn our attention back to worship. And I had a privilege of being a, a little bit of a fly on the wall during Vacation Bible School. And I'll let you know, a lot of kids got saved this last week. And, and the angels are rejoicing as a result. It was a pretty incredible thing. Um, as we're heading um, back into worship, I wanted to read to you out of uh, 1 Chronicles 16. And, and what's being talked about here is David is now king of Israel. He'd been king of Judah uh, for a time period. And now he's king over all of Israel. He comes into Jerusalem. He builds himself a house. And after that is completed, he, he starts thinking about how he's got a place to, to, to reside, but the Ark of the, of the Lord does not have a place to reside there. And so it's his desire to bring um, the Ark to Jerusalem, which uh, in the end, after consulting with some others, it seemed good to everyone that that should take place, that, that they bring uh, the Ark of the Covenant in. And we know that, that as that is happening, he's dancing before the Lord. Well, what happens right after that is he, he sets up 
um, uh, kind of what kind of worship is supposed to happen and uh, kind of the Levitical lead in that. And he has Asaph, and he may recognize that name because he's written many of the Psalms that we read, but he put him as head kind of over all the worship that is supposed to happen and some others underneath him. And David says this, he says, this is how worship should take place. And I'm just going to read you a little beginning of this. We don't have time for this whole passage, but First Chronicles 16, it's almost like I discovered it for the first time this week. And it's just like, wow, this is just so exciting to me. I'm just beside myself after reading this because we get to see David's heart. You know, after he becomes king, he doesn't just go, oh, I'm going to do all, the, you know, all this stuff that is on my agenda. He's like, no, I want the Lord to be honored. And he says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name and make known his name among the nations and what he has done. And sing to him and sing praise to him and tell of his wondrous acts and glory in his holy name. And let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Well, he goes on later in this passage, in, in, in this um, section where he's instructing and giving instructions. This is how the Lord ought to be worshipped. He says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness and tremble before him all the earth. For the world is firmly established and it cannot be moved. And so he says, don't just come to this thing without something that costs you something because he is worthy of what we have to bring. And so I would, I would challenge us now just to lay all the things aside that might be running through your minds that you got going on later today, this week or whatever, and just give him the praise that he is due today because he is worthy of it. Compared to the glory of your love, there is no shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of Heaven, and it's only by your blood. It's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Lord, I bring an offering to you. Yes, I bring an offering to you. The sun cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence. It's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. 
Father, we bow low this morning because you are worthy, you are great, and we are nothing. We're dust. And yet in regards to that, you still choose to esteem us and chose to esteem us by sending your son as a sacrifice for us. We didn't deserve that. God, we are thankful to be called your children, sons and daughters of the living God. And one day we'll, we'll understand it fully when, when we're there in that place called paradise. But until then, I pray that you'd help us to trust you, hang on to this promise that you have given to us. Because we'll live differently if we really grab a hold of it and we really, really believe it. God, I would pray now that as we look into your word, may it change us, may it convict us, may it encourage us. All the things that your word does, for we know it, your spirit works in each of us. At different times, will give us Give us what we need in the moment. So I pray that you do that now. Pray that you'd open our eyes. Pray that you'd help us to hear from you. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, are you uh, glad to be in church this morning? This is awesome, huh? This morning, uh, first service, I actually had a, a pretty amazing Treat. I had an opportunity to see some folks I haven't seen for a long time, and maybe that's the case for you this morning as well. We're seeing some uh, individuals that we haven't seen for a while. I actually turned around right at the beginning of the service, and uh, a roommate of mine uh, that I haven't seen in like 25 years or more, actually, I turned around, and there's this guy looking at me, and I'm convinced he wants to know where the Senior Saints barbecue is. 
But it turns out it was my roommate from college, and uh, <laughs> he's been serving Christ in uh, Israel, uh, over there sharing the gospel in Israel all of this time, and through this last COVID season was uh, called back here, had to spend time in the States, so they're just trying to pray about what God would have them do next, and they happen to be uh, in the area. Uh, Wisconsin was where they were living, but uh, they were over here helping fill a church, and they, they just were on the way down and happened to say, well, let's just pull in and, and see Salem Heights. And so I, I, it was completely out of the blue. But uh, on top of that, we saw some folks for the very first time here uh, in the church, and it reminded me of the fact that uh, we may not be aware. We, you're here this morning desiring to worship the Lord, but it may be also that God has put you next to somebody who needs fellowship, who needs connection, who maybe is here because they they do want to connect with the Lord, but they also need somebody to walk with them through this next stage of life. Make sure that you make room for that on your way out. Amen? Look around and engage with those that you're near. Uh, You'll never know. You could be sitting next to a champion of the Lord, and uh, it'd be a shame if you didn't say hi. I, uh, I have up here a honey stick. All right, on your way out, I'm going to invite you. We've got honey sticks at the doors as you're leaving today. I want you to take one of these with you. But uh, there's some things about honey that you may or may not be aware of. Did you know that, uh, especially in the Willamette Valley, this is one of the the kind of uh, natural ways that you can address some of your uh, afflictions, but that if you take honey from a local area, it can actually help with your allergies. Are you aware of that? It can uh, calm what irritates you. Honey has been found to be good for the heart. That's another statistic. It, it can actually impact in a positive way your cholesterol level. It has antioxidants. It can help purify your body. It has antimicrobial properties. Uh, it doesn't just purify, it can preserve. Uh, the Egyptians actually used it as part of the elixir that they would embalm people with. They would wrap them with a, uh, an ointment that included honey in there because of the way that it would fight off germs. Uh, it has an amazing shelf life. Uh, honey will probably outlast you and I, all right? You just stick it in your, your house, it will actually last for an extremely long time, um, but also it can quite literally be a property that's used to save a life. With, uh, in 14 different countries, the first response that you would have if a child has swallowed a button battery, I don't know if you're aware of this, in many places they encourage you to take honey. They've actually done some experiments with it, and the honey that is given to a, a child that uh, has swallowed a button battery, which is a dangerous situation, it actually... the the sides both uh, make a contact and it can uh, burn its way through uh, an esophagus or stomach. They give them honey every 10 minutes until they're able to get to a hospital. And it actually surrounds that and stays off uh, the harm that could be done to a small child or to an individual that swallows a button battery. It actually has those same kind of properties with things that could harm you that you've ingested. Honey has medicinal value. But if I were talking about... Um, super green food rather than honey, right, you wouldn't be as eager to try it at the end of the service. 
People that are eating, uh, you know, just weeds and all that stuff for their benefit, uh, more power to you. I just don't enjoy the flavor of those things. But honey, I'll give it a try. Why? Because the thing that keeps bringing us back to honey is the taste. I can give you the whole list of benefits. I can give you not just about the antioxidants, but all of the vitamins that might be in that and all of the other benefits. But the thing that really grabs a hold of us is the taste. And what I want to invite you to this morning is a discussion about prayer, but prayer should be like honey. We can see the list of all of the benefits. Prayer, like honey, also calms what irritates you. It's good for your heart. It purifies, it preserves, it outlasts us. Do you remember that moment when Zechariah is praying and he's there before the picture of prayer in the Old Testament? It was the altar of incense that was brought there into the temple right in front of the Holy of Holies. And as he is there offering incense, an angel of the Lord comes to him. This is John the Baptist's father. And He actually is so old that uh, he has given up on having children. But the angel of the Lord meets him and says the most curious phrase. It says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. In fact, the Lord has heard your prayer and has answered. And the question I would have for you is, how long before that do you think Zechariah gave up on the prayer that God was now about to answer? Here he is, old He's at, in front of a table that is a picture of prayer, and probably in his heart he's wondering, does prayer actually make a difference? And God says, yes, the prayers he had prayed a long time before were being answered in his presence, and God gives us that narrative to remind us of the same kind of thing. Our prayers outlast us. They expand our reach, but prayer can literally save your life. When it says... And, and the, the offer is made, the, the question is asked, how can I be saved? What's Paul's response? Just believe. How do I tell God of my belief? I pray. I just pray to the Lord. And Lord, Lord, it is all Jesus and none of me. I trust his finished work. We respond to God through prayer. And prayer in that moment, it binds our heart to his. We're saved at that moment of prayer. The question I have for you this morning is, do you actually have a taste for it? Do you have a taste for prayer? If you are going to list off as one of the qualities in your Christian life that is the strongest, is prayer among them? How would you describe your prayer life? How interested are you in prayer? When you pray, is it more prescriptive? Do you tend to go through something by rote, or is there a relationship that is revealed. Those are the questions I would have you consider as we look at Matthew chapter 6. And there is an interesting thing here. In all of the Old Testament, we see moments where people are praying. We see interactions with God. God even describes how they can come to him. But the very first time that we are taught how to pray, it comes from Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6. And we have a, a passage that's very similar to that in Luke chapter 11, but nonetheless, the first time that we are taught how to pray, we are taught by Jesus in the New Testament, and this is the passage where he is teaching his disciples how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. Let's stand and read this passage together. The scripture says this, Whenever you pray, 
You must not pray like the hypocrites because they pray standing in the synagogue and in the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine that they are heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. That's an important statement. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Do you believe Jesus actually said that? He did. You may be seated. Father, we ask now that you would actually teach us in this picture of prayer. Um how to pray. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us through this process, that we would be able to see that your desire is that we would have a relationship, that you would have a relationship with your children where they freely come to you, where there is an energy behind their prayers, where there is a sense of connection. But Father, also where there is an appropriate process. Help us to understand what should be in our prayers, the attitude we should have as we pray them and when it is that we should pray. Father, help us to be a people of prayer, those that commune with you. Uh, Father, that we speak to you continually without hanging up. Help us to see the call to that here in this passage. And I pray, Father, you'd open our eyes and change the way that we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I... uh, I want you to understand when we study prayer, there's a whole lot of passages, and I think Pete just alluded to this when he was sharing the information with you here. There's so many passages that come up in the New Testament regarding prayer. What the disciples end up doing is they take this moment where Jesus teaches them how to pray, and they spend the rest of the New Testament speaking about prayer, but flushing out these thoughts, these themes. And so there are multiple places where God Uh, adds to the information that Christ just gives us in a a little tiny format. The intention of this is not that you would have a formulaic prayer. And so what I actually want us to do is walk through three things, an acronym here, ACT, because I believe that prayer is an action, something that we are called to. But I want us to look at the attitude of prayer, the content of our prayer, and the timing of prayer. And it's important for us to understand that the attitude is not to be one that's just a religious thing that we do. It says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. It says they already have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, why does he say that? He's trying to give us the attitude at the very beginning that we are to have, and that is your prayer is not supposed to be for the people around you. It's not just supposed to be something that you do formally in order to work through a system, but it actually is a relationship with God that you are being invited to participate in. 
you are actually connecting with the God of the universe by invitation. And he says, you can do this in private. This should be between you and he. And it should be as a real and alive as if you're looking, as if other people around are engaging with you. Your interaction with God who sees you in private should be as real as if it was with another person because he's inviting you into that relationship. We should come with a sense of anticipation. We need to be aware of a couple of things, and it's built into this passage, but also in Luke chapter 11, I would have you hear what Christ, when his disciples actually asked him, hey, Lord, will you teach us how to pray like John teaches his disciples? He gives them this same prayer, but then he adds this. It says, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, please lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But I tell you, even though he wouldn't get up to give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will give, give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened to him. Pretty important series of statements there. What is Christ trying to impress on them? If I were just going to sum it up very simply, it's going to be availability. Christ says your father actually cares about the needs that you have. Why don't you go to him? Prayer is urgent, uh, but it is urgently presenting your request to a God who is available. We're supposed to go with a sense of anticipation. We're supposed to remember something else, though, on the way, and that is that we're going as God's child. It says back in uh, chapter 6, verse 9, therefore you should pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. Get that phrase, our Father. This would have been shocking, and I think actually for the disciples, this would have been the most uh, hard to wrap their mind around of all of the statements that Christ is about to make. Our Father who is in heaven. It's a term of familiarity. They would go to God as God the Almighty. They would go to God as somebody who is distant, who is powerful, who is profoundly different and wholly other than them. He is a, a holy God, and we should understand that he's a holy God. Amen? We should understand that he is far greater than we are. But the invitation that's made here is our Father. He says, I want you to come in a relationship that a parent has with a child. That's the same way that Christ looks at it in Luke chapter 11. He actually highlights to him uh, an image there. He says, well, what father would actually, if, if your child comes to you asking for an egg, would actually give him a scorpion instead? You wouldn't bait and switch your child. You're not going to give them something harmful just because they asked for something healthy. But how many of us are afraid to ask God things? We, we will actually encourage each other. We'll say things like, be careful what you ask for. We think that God is in the business of trying to train us through taking away what we really want and giving us instead something uh, that is negative, but that's not what Christ is having us observe. 
He's saying you are actually God's child. The attitude we have needs to be one of anticipation with a sense of urgency and awareness that we are actually part of God's family, that he loves us like you love your children. But also, there is the implication here and the outright statement throughout the rest of the New Testament that God actually makes changes on earth in response to prayer. For our generation, that's one of the hardest things to wrap our minds around. This is the first time that Jesus is teaching on prayer, teaching them how to pray, but we have Old Testament narratives where we see men interacting with God, praying to God, and a response is given. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 32 when Moses is coming down from the mountain, he has the, uh, the two stones there with the Ten Commandments Uh, written on them, and Israel is doing something ridiculous when he comes down. He's been gone 40 days, and it says Israel is already there with golden calves, worshiping another God and doing all kinds of foolish things. And right at that moment, Moses smashes the stones. God says, Moses, step back. I'm just going to kill them all right now, and I'll start over with you. And Moses gets on his knees, and he says, no, Lord God, Don't let your enemies say he took them out into the wilderness just to destroy them. For the sake of your great name, would you still look over the overlook their sin? Have compassion. Moses prays and God relents. That's the way that the scriptures describe that. In 1 Kings chapter 8, as Solomon is dedicating the temple. The temple is there. It is about to be filled up with a fire and a weightiness of the presence of God so incredible that people couldn't even enter uh, the, the grounds for a period of time. The prayer that God responds to is filled with statements like this. Solomon says, God... the heavens alone cannot contain you. How can this little tiny place contain you? He says, we can tell that it is symbolic, that you are just saying that you are here among your people. But will you fill this place in such a way that your people will pray towards it? And he says, in fact, God, when your people look towards this place and in their hearts are actually looking towards you, if, if there is famine in the land, if there is actually something that has afflicted them, if there is harm in their home, if they are overwhelmed and they are praying this direction, they are actually praying with their face towards you, would you hear in that prayer and respond to them? Change their circumstances because their hearts are fixed on you. The response of God was fire, a declaration that yes, he would. Second Chronicles 7. The people are being driven away from God because of their sin. And the prophet is heartbroken over it. And a promise that comes to Israel, but principles that we can learn from. He actually says, yes, they have pestilence. Yes, they've been driven off. Yes, they're enduring punishment right now. But he says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, then I would hear from heaven, I will heal them and their land. I'll restore them if they would pray. James chapter 4 actually speaks to us in this day and age. It says that there are a lot of things on earth that God is about. But one of the things he also enjoys doing is blessing his children with an answer of yes to their prayers. In James chapter 4, he says, but some of you do not have what it is that God would even bless you with. You don't have because you do not ask. That's what he says. 
one of the big questions, and we've been trying to tackle one of these each week when we, when we look at this fundamental, um, and, and I want to look at it from two different angles. First, the question is, why don't we pray? But second, does God really answer prayer? When we were in Sunday school, we learned that God always answers prayer, right? And we've heard this statement. Well, yes, God always answers prayer. Sometimes he answers with no. Sometimes he answers with later. And sometimes he answers with yes. But this seems like as we begin to get older, like an unsatisfactory answer. The real question isn't whether or not God says no. In fact, many people would say quite often God's going to say no. And anybody who's had children understands that later almost is equal to no, right? Have you ever answered to your children, hey, dad, can I have this right now? Well, we'll talk about it later. What does that mean? I hope they go to bed and forget. But does God really answer with yes? Can I ask you, do you believe that God says yes? Is there any moment in your life where you prayed and you knew that your heart was aligned with what God would have and you saw something happen that there's no other answer for it other than God intervened in your life? When couples come for couples counseling, a counselor quite often will do a little investigative work. If you look at just even in the world, psych- psychologists tell us that there are leading indicators of whether or not a couple is going to do well or they're going to hit some hard times. They're going to run through a rough patch and be on the rocks. And one of the leading indicators is how they communicate. If your communication is generically just a way to voice your irritations, to highlight what it is that you want or don't want, or to disperse a chore list, if your interactions are not filled with a continual communication of how the day was or how you're actually doing or what it is Uh, that you've enjoyed, things that you've seen or desires that you have or collective goals that you both can participate in. If there is not more to your communication than just your irritations or getting people lined out, then you will end up in a place that is hard. Communication is one of the critical keys to having a thriving relationship. This is what God is inviting us to. He's not asking you just to come to him when you're irritated or when you need to get lined out. He's asking you to come to him at all times in order for couples to get on the same page and and to collectively act as one and move forward in life, they have to communicate. And in the same way, our interaction with the living God, as we begin to read his word and be stirred in our prayers, he uses that time to, to walk with us and to, to speak with us and to begin to shape our mind. Using scripture and that time in prayer, he begins to reorient us so that we think his thoughts, so that we desire his desires, so that we have the same goals as God has. He answers our prayer, but he also fills us with those desires. Are you close enough with the Lord to sense when he would have you ask for great things? Tim Keller said it this way when we talk about asking of the Lord. He says that Jesus will give you exactly what you would give you if you knew everything that he knew. That's what he would do. John Wesley, 
who made such a, a great impact through evangelism in the world, when he was talking about what God does through the church, he made this statement. He says, God does nothing through the church, nothing except in response to believing prayer. He believed that prayer was the very centerpiece of what energized all of the ministry that he was seeing in his day. Our attitude should be one of anticipation, urgency, and belief that we are family. But then there's the content of our prayer. Now, Jesus actually goes from verse 9 through verse 13, and he gives us seven things. We don't have time this morning to unpack those. Once again, in your notes, you have the little QR code there. There are uh, scriptures where you can see uh, where the apostles have actually put um, feet to each of these points, added some thoughts to those in the scriptures. I'm just going to highlight what he says and make a little statement about each one. He starts at the very beginning, Jesus does, with the content of our prayer, and he says, once again, this is not supposed to be prescriptive, but these elements should be a part of your regular interaction with the living God. He says, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name is to be honored as holy. We start with praise. The very beginning of our prayer should be us falling on our knees and understanding that he is holy and we are not. Do you agree with that? There is a distance between us that the only person who could make up the difference is God. He sent Christ to clean up the mess that we make of our lives in order for us to even be able to interact with him in any meaningful way. So we praise him at the very beginning and say, Lord, thank you that I can even have a relationship with you. We speak to him as our father. We speak to him as one who we are family with him. But then it says that we're to remind ourselves of the purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God is a great God. He's a holy God, but he's also not an aimless God. He, at the very beginning, has had a plan, and the end is in view. And God has all along the way been superintending things to take care of that. There is a bigger story than our life. Do you believe that? You have to be a part of something greater than you, or life will have a sense of defeat. It'll deflate you. Let me say it a little bit differently. If you are the hero of your story, you are missing out. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, God, will you please help me not only to see that you are holy, but to participate in something that's a lot bigger than me. Your kingdom, not mine. Your desires, not mine. Your will. And then with that attitude, bowing our heads, he says, give us our day, this day, our daily bread. Right built into the center of the prayer is that idea of petition and provision. Lord, this is the need that I have. That's what he says. It's right in the middle there. I know who you are. I know that your kingdom is what I'm supposed to be about. These are the needs that are in my heart. Will you meet them? And then there's something that is confounding. In fact, at first, we love it, and then it gives us pause, It says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. He ties these two together. So we have praise, purpose, petition, but now he gives us these two tied together, pardon and people. Now we love it when scripture talks about forgiveness, don't we? How many people here love the idea that your sins can be forgiven and you're white as snow? Anybody here? All right, yeah. 
we're just going to wake this service up. So you're at church, not in your living room. Did you know that? So we'll speak back to the, the guy up front. We actually should be enthralled with the idea that anything that we have messed up in, all of the things that are literally sin, our will instead of God's will, our desires that have led us to be ensnared can be forgiven, washed, and we're set free from those snares that we set for our own lives. All of that can happen in just a moment. If any of us sins, what do we have? First John tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You ask for forgiveness, he says it's done. How awesome is that? He promises us pardon, but then he ties it to people. It says, and forgive us our debts as... Or in like kind as we have forgiven our debtors. The prayer, if you were going to kind of modernize it a little bit, would sound a little like this. Father, please forgive me and treat me with the exact same compassion and understanding that I treat other people. Now how forgiven are you going to feel at the end of this service right now? Lord, I want you to to forgive me and I want you to treat me just the exact same way that I think, the the same way that I treat and think of those people that are of a different political persuasion than me. Treat me like I treat them. uh, Amen goes there. Does that feel a little too personal? Does that get a little bit too uh, inside our our heart? How, How about treat me like that individual who has wronged me? Treat me Father, the same way that I've treated that brother or sister that did not see the way that their action was irritating me, in my heart right now, this is how I feel about them. Would you still treat me as as I have treated them? Why does Christ describe it this way? There's a unique thing that's built into this picture. It says, God, our Father, I want to be about your kingdom. Anything good that I have has come from you. Will you please forgive me? And the implication is this. If he actually is your father, if you actually are family, if you actually have experienced forgiveness, if you actually are about his will, do you want to know one of the key indicators that something is different in you? You will be a person of grace and begin extending forgiveness where it isn't even asked for. Do you know that? There should be an implication in your heart that you... Extend grace where others might not. Coming out of us, there should be a transformation that happens because of our relationship with God. And it actually says here, it says, Lord, will you please turn me into a person of grace where forgiveness flows out of me just as I receive forgiveness. That's the implication of this passage. Now he does say, Uh, In here, for if he comes back to it in verse 14 and 15, and this is troubling for some folks. If you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Uh, He goes on to flush that out, and the rest of the New Testament does as well. Uh, The simple understanding would be this. If you have an unforgiving heart, if you are a person who cannot be moved, if you are somebody who says, you've wronged me once and now it's over, you probably do not know the Lord. Grace will replace a hard heart. Grace will take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Grace will actually transform the way that you see other people. In fact, you won't look around at everyone that is in the room and say, oh man, once they've done that, this is just who they are. You will believe, just like God has announced, 
that people can be transformed by a relationship with Christ. Do you believe it? And you'll begin to treat people that way. He says, in your prayers, remind yourself that you need to be a person of grace and receive that grace from the Lord. And then he says something else. Can you imagine a group of people who know that they are related to God, that are about his kingdom, that see him answering prayers and meeting their needs, that are a place where there is forgiveness, a place where people are receiving forgiveness. They're walking uh, with a renewed sense in their heart of what is right and what's wrong. Satan hates that. So he says, and protect us, deliver us from evil. He asks a prayer of protection, and then ultimately he leads us to a place of peace. But deliver us from the evil one. In, uh, in Luke chapter 11 and in Philippians chapter 4, it wraps up basically with this idea. When you have a relationship with God where you know him and you are known, where the forgiveness that flows through you begins to transform you, the enemy hates that. But God will protect you from him. And the result of praying and walking in a relationship like that is not just that you'll be more energized. It's not just that you'll know where you're headed. It's not just that you'll seem to have a better life plan. But you will experience peace. Not just any kind of peace. Because man can actually teach you breathing practices, right? Little things that you can do to make your life feel like it's more ordered. No, he says, this is a peace that surpasses understanding. There's no reason that you should be able to have it. And he says, he will fill you with a sense of peace that only the Spirit of God can have. Do you have it? You will have peace. Just look around in our world, and you'll be able to see those who have been clinging to the Lord or who, those who have been clinging to their way of thinking. Peace is the part that's quite often missing. In the trapeze world, uh, there are two different groups of people. Uh, there are flyers and there are catchers. Now look at this crazy person on the right. I don't even know where the little swing is that they came up on. I think it's one of these pole pieces over here. But can you imagine flinging yourself 30, 40 feet up in the air? You get on that trapeze. You actually swing out on the swing, spin underneath that thing, and let go. There was a rule, uh, Rodley of the Flying Rodleys had an oversimplification. He said, this is the simple rule for flyers and catchers. That it was an axiom that they've done in circuses ever since. The flyer is the one who lets go, he said. The catcher is the one who catches. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. What he says is, the one that is flying is just supposed to throw their arms out and wait. You put your arms up and you allow the catcher to engage with you, catch you, and bring you safely in. When the flyer is trying to catch the catcher, in other words, when the flyer is trying to do the work that the other one is supposed to do, he actually undoes the work that the other one is supposed to do. How does that relate to prayer? Quite often, we pray when we no longer can control things or when we have no other answer. We have tried every single thing ourselves. That's because by our nature, we're trying to catch the catcher or we're trying to be God or tell God how he can best serve us. But what Jesus is doing is laying out a plan here, he says, where you actually go and you raise your hands and you say, Lord God, 
And he is the one that catches us and finishes what needs to be finished. Can you trust him? Do you trust him? A flyer that's trying to catch the catcher quite often doesn't trust the catcher to get it done. George Buttrick said, uh, described the relationship just a little bit differently, but he said it this way, prayer is a friendship with God. Now, friendship is not formal, but it is not formless. It has its cultivation, its behavior, its obligation, even its disciplines, and the casual mind will kill it. He's describing something here. He says, the relationship Christ is inviting us to is not a formal one. In other words, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you will have X. But it's also not formless. When you are in a relationship with somebody, there is a process there where you are engaged with them. There are certain things that you do in order to foster that relationship. He says, I'm not trying to turn you into something that is formal. But he says the casual mind, somebody who just prays whenever or randomly and has no intention, those people will not enter into a regular relationship with me. The invitation that's being made here is that we should regularly, consistently, actively present ourselves to the living God. We are invited into a relationship that will transform us and bless us. That's the content. So when is the timing? We have attitude and content. If we're going to truly act out and pray, when should we do it? When should you pray? Right now. Right now. You should have actually, if anything that has been said right here, if anything is coming from the Lord and into your heart, you probably, during the course of this message, have said, Lord, I need some work in my area of prayer. There should be something coming out of your heart and yielded to the Lord. We should be praying right now. First Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. Start speaking to the Lord when you wake up in the morning throughout the day. It's not only informal times where you clear out the room and you open your Bible and you fold your hands a certain way, although that is also a blessed time to do it. But it's when you're driving, when you're moving, when you're engaging with other people. There should be a prayer in your heart that says, Lord, help me to know what to say or how to act or what to do or bless that person or help me meet that need. In fact, I think the absence of prayer in our life is the most concerning thing. One person has observed that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is not hate. Why? Because there's still emotion that's attached there. If you're hating an individual, there's an energy there. There's emotion. There's attachment. You're disturbed at something they have done, but there's still a closeness in that relationship. Actually, the opposite of love is disinterest, a lack of concern. The opposite of love is, I, I, I just don't think about you at all. Based on that description, if we're using prayer as a metric in your life, do you love God? Are you actively pursuing Him, or does your life show disinterest? A lack of concern of where he stands on certain things or whether or not he is desiring to energize you to move or to act or to be different. Prayer will be a marker in your life. The time to pray is right now and the energy inside you should be saying, Lord, help me to pray well. 
A.J. Gordon said it this way, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. We need to be a people of prayer. Now, we, uh, we have an opportunity this morning, actually, to put this into practice right away. We have uh, set aside time this morning for the Lord's Supper, and so uh, we have these elements that were handed out to most of you on the way in. Uh, if you did not get this little uh, cup and, and, uh, of juice, just raise your hand up high, and the guys will make sure that they get that to you. If you did not get one, they'll come and bring that to you. Leave your hand up for them. Um, but I want to remind you that this, uh, these sets of elements are not mystical. They do not save you. They do not, uh, they do not add to your salvation in that way. But this is a blessed opportunity. This is a moment where we actually get to reflect on what Jesus Christ did for us. The purchase price for us to be in the family was his life, his death burial, and resurrection. And in fact, he prescribed this and said that when you take this bread and you drink the cup, you're actually reflecting on his death, burial, and resurrection until he comes again. It is a way that God uses to remind you that you are supposed to be about the kingdom and his plan rather than your own. You're supposed to reflect on the price that it costs for you to even think that way. So in order to make our hearts ready, the scriptures actually tell us that we're to pray. This is something that we've been studying. That we are to bow our heads before the Lord and we're supposed to ask him, Lord, is there anything between you and I? Scripture is really clear. If there is anything there, it's not immovable. You confess it. You say, Lord, this is the thing that is in the way. And at that moment, you are forgiven. But he says, prepare your hearts in order to think rightly about these elements. So I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna give you a few seconds to actually, between you and the Lord, pray. If there's anything there that the Spirit of God reveals that you need to take care of it, confess that. Know that you are clean. I'll give you a few seconds, then I will pray. AJ's going to lead us in a song, and then we will take these elements. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Take a moment to reflect in your own heart. <clears throat> Father, we come before you now and we do ask that you would help us in these moments if there's anything between us and you. Take care of it. Help us to confess it. Make us pure. Help us to be ready to take these elements. In Christ's name, amen.
Take just a moment and familiarize yourself with these elements. On one side, you'll see the bread. On the other side is the cup. There's two pieces you can open there. We start with the bread, uh, that first element, and then the cup, because that's the order that Paul gave us in the scriptures. So I'm going to read this passage, and we're going to follow his instruction. Paul says, and open the bread side there, if you would. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
if you flip that over and uh, open the other side. The scripture continues and it says, And in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture concludes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we do ask that you would help us. A central theme all the way through Scripture is not just your kingdom, but the fact that you are coming again and you're asking us to actively put you on display until the day we see you face to face. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us to be energized in our prayer life, to be active in the way that we walk in the world, to be looking for your soon return. Fill us up with a sense, an awareness of what you are doing and what you would have us be about. Father, help us to walk with you with an energy and a delight that can only come from relationship. We thank you that you've invited us into this and ask that you would help us to live every single day In light of your return, um, Father, help us to live as if it's a moment where we finally will be home. We ask you to enable us. In Jesus' name, amen. And I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled. And died for me I see his wounds His hands, his feet My Savior on That cursed tree His body bound And drenched in tears They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah's day and all alone. And oh, praise the Oh, yeah.
well, thanks for being here today. I want to remind you, you have those honey sticks on your way out. So enjoy the rest of your day. You're dismissed. I believe. I believe.